This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 357. The challenge isn't let me get cash flow now. To me, it starts with let's get some net worth going first and some tools that are going to build us that net worth and then use cash flow as defense. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David Green. What's up, David? Not much, dude. I had a great day yesterday. Got a lot of sunshine and some exercise out here in California. Mm-hmm. I got a... Oh, yeah. Did you like run like five miles? Yeah, I ran five miles I I saw, after I a that. workout. Yeah. It was really good. And then today, during, oh, look at you. during our recording, I got a message about a new flip deal. So I think I'm going to have three under contract mm-hmm. by the end of today, most likely. So... That's a really good day. And awesome. we had an amazing interview today with a very successful real estate investor. We did. Yeah. Our guest today is a uh, YouTube star, so to speak, Kevin uh, from Meet Kevin. A lot of you guys have seen his YouTube videos. He's very, very popular. All his videos get hundreds of thousands of views, sometimes millions. Uh, and he's just a bright, articulate, smart dude that can really like, like shares a ton of information about real estate investing, getting started and all that good stuff. Uh, we have a great conversation, but all sorts of stuff. I mean, everything from like why he actually doesn't like cash flow. He actually says that. I don't really like cash flow. He goes into that. Uh, he goes into something he calls wedge properties. He goes into uh, kind of his portfolio, like why he's not trying to be the next Grant Cardone. And it's really a phenomenal discussion. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of. So stay tuned for all of that today. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we got going. So before we get any further though, let's get to today's quick tip. tip. So today's quick tip is very simple. Meet Kevin. Kevin from today's show. Me, Kevin is a YouTube channel and we also have a YouTube channel. So go follow both of us right now. Go to YouTube, follow, uh, you know, subscribe to bigger pockets and subscribe to me, Kevin. That's it. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore. Thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24 7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. 
Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Finally, now we are ready to jump into this interview with Meet Kevin. Here we go. All right, Kevin, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast, man. It has been a long time coming. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. All right, cool. So let's talk about you and your real estate journey. I mean, I know you're a real estate agent, but you're also invested in real estate. So let's talk. How did you first get into this whole real estate investing thing? Absolutely. First thing was I was uh, I got my license and I thought, wow, you know, how am I supposed to possibly get clients? It's 2010, turn of 2011. Nobody's wanting to buy real estate. There are tons of properties to be bought, yet everybody's fearful of this double dip recession coming. So I'm like, well, nothing uh, better than a salesperson going, I'm buying right now. <laughs> so uh, I, I bought I bought a house. That house, what'd you buy and where? Yeah, that. so I bought a house in Ventura, California, and it okay. was a $305,000 foreclosure. Of course, there were actually two cash offers on it. So it's like, ah, oh, like how do you compete against cash with an FHA 3.5% down renovation loan? And I thought, well, I really need a house so I could sell more houses, so I'll just pay more. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That definitely, it works in two, what year was this? 2000 and you said 10? Uh, 2011 when I bought and closed the property. So, I mean, it's worked out very well because, uh, you know, sure. even when we bought the place, it was a foreclosure. There was no kitchen. Uh, the bathrooms didn't have toilets. So at the time when I bought it, I'm even paying 305 for it. If I put 50 into it, the day after I put the 50 in, I knew I could have resold it for 400, 425. So at least I felt comfortable that even in that market, I felt like I had a worst case scenario exit strategy, but that really helped me sell real estate. But then the cool thing that came out of that was, oh my gosh, I'm making more money <laughs> investing in real estate than I am in sales uh, because you start seeing that equity and that net worth build so fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you said a renovation loan. What does that mean for those who are never heard that term before? Yeah. So this, and, and I don't recommend it really for anybody. It's right. like one of those worst case scenarios, but uh, this was an FHA 203k renovation loan, which is basically where you go in with three and a half percent down. So on $305,000, three and a half percent down, that was pretty small number, somewhere around what, $11,000. And uh, then we borrowed about $50,000 for fix up from the bank, which was bundled into our first loan. So really we were putting about three and a half percent down on 355, which, you know, again, super small relative to us being able to now control 
Uh, and that's, that's my girlfriend at the time, Lauren and I, we bought this, we each put together like our $8,000 that we had and we bought this, <laughs> but, you know, for us to be able to control going from literally, you know, Jamba Juice and Red Robin employees to, to brand new real estate agent and being able to control a three quarters of a million dollar property that we could fix up and have equity. in, we're just like, wow, you know, day one, our net worth goes from, you know, $8,000 to like more than, you know, $75,000 after our fix up. It's like, Whoa. So that, and that excitement really helped me sell real estate because people are like, you know, they meet and get an open house and they go, oh, Kevin, what do you think about the market? Everybody wanted to know about the market. They're like, what do you think about the double dip recession? And, uh, you know, I, I studied as much as I could about the market. But when I was talking to people, the biggest thing that people related to was, wow, you're, you're an agent and you're, you're buying right now. Yeah. So why did you say you don't think the, the, the renovation loan, you don't recommend it because I have my own reasons for it, why it's good and bad, but what's the downsides? Yeah. So the downside is of that $50,000 we borrowed, probably eight, at least eight of that went to HUD consultants and extra bank fees, which is really frustrating because that's, it's, it's expensive, but you know, cost of doing business. Yeah. So I can't really complain because it got us in, but the process is also a bit of a pain in the butt because they really want you to have a contractor that goes in there and does, let's say the kitchen. Then the, the HUD consultant comes and says, okay, kitchen's done. Then the bank gives you, you know, more money. They give you like an initial draw and then they'll give you the additional draws after you do work. But the problem is most of your handy folk, the drywallers, the electricians, the contractors, they finish the job. They ain't putting bread on the table if they're not getting paid that day. So we yeah, actually yeah. sort of hacked it. And the way we did it is because it was a good deal, which I always recommend trying to find those below market value deals. I went to a client, my first client ever, uh, whom I sold a six unit apartment building for him. He uh, said, Hey, you know, now that I sold this property, I have extra money. I go, I happen to need money. Could you lend me 20 grand? And he put a second on the property because he saw the equity. He walked the property. He saw our building materials there. He saw the struggle we were having with the bank. He goes, I'll lend you 20 grand. So we use that 20 to do a bunch of work, get reimbursed from the bank, do a bunch of work, get reimbursed from the bank. That made the whole renovation process way easier, yeah. but to do it legit, <laughs> Tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I've never done personally a 203K. I've done an FHA, but not a 203K, except for I, I was the contractor on a 203K back in the day, like years ago. And it was hell. It was my, actually my best friend at the time. And Adam was trying to buy a house and he was going to do a 203K. I mean, it took like, nine months to get through all the paperwork and the hell and the, just the, the, to get paid from the bank for me, it was like insane. Yeah. And like, if, yeah if you don't have like a best friend contractor, it ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> so, because you need the contractor to like bear all the pain, basically like the amount of paperwork yeah. you need. Oh, uh, they were like, look, yeah. not saying it's not terrible. If, if you get a good, like a smoking hot deal, it's the only way you can do it. Yep. Hey, you know what? It's, it's a tool, but if you can avoid it at all costs, please. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's what, what I think a good use for that is, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy or not hell, but so if you can buy the duplex, triplex or fourplex, you can also do the FHA 203k loan with that. So potentially you buy that fourplex, get the 203k, remodel the whole thing. I mean, it's again, it's hell to go through, but at the end of the day, you could be into a fourplex that cash flows like an ATM machine for three and a half percent down total. So that, that I think is, it's awesome. It's just, it's, it's hard to get through. Uh, you know, and that, I and that's a really yeah. good point. 
it, what's what's so wonderful about what, what you said there is I think you're drawing a clear distinction and it's so important because I think people on, on YouTube and on the internet, a lot of people, they're looking to get started and they believe yeah. that, okay, you know what? I'm going to start getting passive income tomorrow. And as if it's not going to take any work or effort yeah, or yeah. time to build a net worth to actually get there and doing what you said. Yeah. You yeah. know, sometimes when you get started trying to build that passive income, you have to go through a little bit of work. Imagine that, you know, people are like, yeah. Oh, well, well, Kevin, you know, you have to deal with uh, uh, fixing up your, your rental properties or re-renting them when they come vacant. Yeah. It just happens to also pay very well. So it's worth yeah. it. <laughs> not saying it's not worth, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. I'm so glad we started off with this topic because just yesterday I had a, I mean, I'm a real estate agent just like you are, Kevin, and I'm also an investor. And I had a client who's like, hey, I'm going to buy a house. I want to use an FHA 203K loan. This should be a breeze. And I'm like, okay, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you need to understand that there's a, a principle that sounds like, yeah, this is great. You can get a 203K loan. And then there's a reality that you will hate every single thing about doing this, that there's such a pain in the butt. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it. Like Kevin, you hit it right on the head. You better hope that contractor is your best friend because the government has made it so hard for that to work. It's almost a useless product for most People. And there's a lot of pieces of real estate investing that work that way. You said another good thing, Kevin, that when people focus on, well, yeah, but then I got to do all this work. Yeah, that's why there's an opportunity there. Because if there wasn't work involved, somebody else would have bought it before you even found out about it. That yep. when you when you get a deal, you are literally getting a problem. You're getting somebody else's problem that they don't want to solve. And if you're the person that can solve it, then you get the fruits of your labor. And you really have to just accept that that is what you're doing. You, you get results in the gym because you work out. You get a paycheck from work because you bring them value. You make money through real estate yep. because you do the same thing. And a two or three K loan yep. is not always a great tool to do that. But Kevin, you highlighted what you should do. Okay. That loan sucks. It's going to be very hard. How do I make this easier on myself? Let me go ask somebody for money. How do I know that they're going to be able to trust that I'll pay it back? I'll put a second mortgage on my house. So they'll get a lien on my property. You took all the tools that Brandon and I are talking about and you creatively use them in the situation to make this happen. Then you got the bug. You're like, this is great. I don't have to work at Jamba <laughs> Juice anymore. I can actually have a job where I wear a tie. Tell me more about it. So what I want to know is, did you become an agent because you're, the real estate investing bug caught you and you fell in love with real estate or was it the other way around? Yeah, that, I mean, honestly, what you just said there is so on point. First of all, I actually took out a notepad and I wrote down, you get a deal, you get somebody else's problem. That is so understated. Now, you're going to get very well compensated for it often, especially you get a good below market value yeah. deal in real estate. But that's so great because it sets the expectation a lot more properly. And yeah, I became a, a real estate agent first. And the problem that I had was, you know, at, at 19... Uh, 18, 19, it's hard to convince people to use you as an agent. But for yeah. some weird reason, when you at 19 buy real estate, now people are like, this guy's 19 and he's yeah. buying real estate. Look at the whiz kid. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. Got, I got to work with this guy. You know I mean? yeah. like, and, and I mean, so it just, it ended up just paying dividends, not only by being a good deal, but also in my opinion, if somebody's a salesperson of something, they better freaking own and invest in what they're doing. I heard, uh, you know, sometimes I hear real estate agents, they go, yeah, yeah, you know, I sell real estate in the area here. And, and look, I'm not trying to bag on people, but whatever. Sometimes I do that. That's why I say, don't sue me, bro. Right? But uh, it, it's just what I feel. Sometimes I hear real estate agents, they're like, I, you know, look, I sell houses here, but I don't invest here. I, you know, I, uh, I, I buy REITs or, or something else. And I'm like, 
ah, what? No, it's the wrong message to be sending to your clients, first of all. And second of all, it's just, it's not congruent in my opinion. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to legitimately go to a buyer and go, you should buy this, it is a good deal. And if you don't, somebody else is going to get a lot of money buying it. I have to legitimately stand behind that as if like I would yeah. put my money on that deal, you know? Yeah. I think that's the key to like sales in general. I mean, every good salesperson I've ever known in any field, it, they, they actually believe in what they're selling. It's, a, it's such a like, so if you're like out there telling me, yeah, you should really invest in this type of property or you should really live here because it'll be a great investment for you and your family, but then you're not willing to do it. Like, yeah, you just look like a, you just look like a, like a liar. So, uh, now, I mean, I granted there are some people who maybe feel like they can't buy because they're like, oh, I live in Southern California. But I mean, obviously you, you did it. You pulled it off, right? There's always ways if you, if you really want what Jim, you know, the Jim Rohn quote, like if you really want something, you'll find a way. If not, you'll find That's an excuse. The thing. You know, people that. have every excuse under the sun not to get started. And, you know, yeah. honestly, I mean, I, I went live on Instagram one day. Somebody's like, uh, you know, I, well, I, I live in Orange County. I can't find any anything to buy. Everything's like $700,000. I pull up, uh, you know, uh, uh, here I've got my iPhone on Instagram. I pull up my laptop, you know, I go on Zillow. I go, show me everything that's a townhouse or a condo under $400,000 in Orange County. Wow. Here are 50 hits. All right, let's go through these. Oh, wow. <laughs> here's one that says it's a fixer upper. Why don't we set up a showing for that one? Like, Oh yep. wow. And it's a two bedroom. It's a three bedroom. You can house sack it. Like, ah, there are ways yep. to solve your problems, people. <laughs> because what you're realizing yeah. is yeah. what he's saying is there's nothing that doesn't require work. That's underneath $700,000. <laughs> there's nothing easy that's under 700,000. Right. And that's exactly that's what good. you, what you pointed out. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> they all come with problems, right? Everything that's under 700 yeah. is a problem. And I'm not willing to inherit that. Yeah. I always like to push people a little bit too. When they say they can't find any deals, I always ask them three questions, right? Like how many offers did you make this week? How many deals did you analyze and how many leads came across your desk? Cause if you can't find Ooh. deals, it means you're not doing one of those three things or th <laughs> you're not doing those three things. And, if, and every time, I mean, I've never had somebody say like answer any of those with anything other than zero. Like every time it's like, well, none, none, none. I'm like, okay, well now you know what your problem is. Like, let's just let it, like, how are you going to get leads across your desk? Oh, go to, go to Zillow and sort by, cheapest or recently reduced or like there's so many ways to do this. It's just people, it's a lot easier to sit on the couch and watch the bachelor than it is to sit and actually invest in real estate. And so that's what people do. They sit Golly, on the couch. You're so, you're so right about that. And, and, and I think really one of the biggest uh, things that stops people is it's, and it's almost the easiest thing to solve is get pre-approved, you know, just by, yeah. just yeah. by the nature of picking up the phone and getting pre-approved, you now have a lender telling you, you know what, we should really work to pay off this car. And then you can afford this kind of property. Now you yeah. get motivated. Come yep. on. You know, <laughs> I, I think too many people are like, Oh, well, I don't want to have my credit run because it might drop my score yeah. by six points. <laughs> like, ah. So let me, let me chime in on that. Cause dude, Kevin, you're speaking my language. This is the frustration of every real estate agent, right? The first thing is your credit will drop. It will come right back in like a month or two. It's a temporary hit. The other thing is if, if you get your credit run, you have a 30 day window to continue to run it from other banks and it won't go down anymore because after the fair credit stuff happened after the last crash, the government changed the standards of, of how credit is run so that you can get multiple quotes and don't get ripped off. The third point is I tell my clients this all the time. Getting a pre-approval is not just something you have to do to be able to buy a house, although it usually is if you're using a loan. It's like going to the doctor and getting your blood work back 
and they say, here's the deal. Here's where your cholesterol is. Here is where your A1C count is. Here's where your protein count is. We need to make these adjustments to make you healthier. Well, your, your pre-approval is a form of paperwork that you look at and say, oh, if I pay this off, I can borrow more money. I didn't even realize that my debt was this high on this interest rate. All that I have to do is move this thing around and I can get a better rate. And it, and it empowers you now to have a plan to go forward. And like you said, Kevin, it motivates you. I think the reason people really don't want to get pre-approved is the same reason guys don't like to go to the doctor is we don't want to hear, oh, there's a problem. You have something that you have uh, to do. But it's so important because once you see that, it impacts you emotionally and then you start to take action. And that's what we can all agree here. Taking action is actually what's going to build you wealth and to help you grow. Now, Kevin, you're a unique person. I know you have a YouTube channel that is massive. You're, you're known as a real estate educator. You're very young. You give really good advice. I've listened to you on YouTube before. I think you have really good stuff. As far as being an agent, because we actually have a lot of agents that listen to this podcast and we have a lot of people that work with real estate agents as well. Give me some insight into what you've learned being a real estate agent, similar to me, that you didn't know before when you were just an investor. What's some things in the industry that you see that give you an advantage because you work selling real estate for a living that might benefit people who want to get into investing? Oh, wow. That's that's a really good question. You know, it, it, it's one that I... I would say, and uh, okay, so we'll, we'll go down this rabbit uh, because this is a this is a big pet peeve of mine for investors. Most of the time, when people become investors, they or, or they start investing in real estate, they they kind of they turn into like Draculas. I'm an investor, and, and everybody <laughs> around them bow down to me. Uh, it's it's honestly, uh, you know, people people for some reason become mean and, and aggressive sometimes when they're investors and they don't treat agents well, escrow well, lenders well, electricians, plumbers well, everybody, you know, they're, they're the t- king of the universe is their own impression. And that may be true because investors create a lot of business for a lot of people. But what I found being an agent, so to answer your question, what I found being an agent is as an agent, my relationship with the other agents is what gets me deals, not because somehow I'm getting these pocket deals, but because when I call an agent, I don't even necessarily have to know them, but I call an agent and I say, Hey, you've got, and and I just did this this year. So I put my money where my mouth is. This guy's got, uh, he he put a listing on the market from out of the area. Great deal. Put it on the market for $650,000. I looked at the thing. I go, this place needs $10,000 worth of work and it's going to be worth $775,000. Uh, and so I, I call them and find out, okay, you know, uh, hey, I talk to them, build some rapport. Wow, you know, it sounds like you've got a great listing here. Tell me a little bit, what are the seller's motivations? And by getting to know him and talk to him and, and building a relationship, building rapport with him, I'm able to go from not knowing him, coming in as an agent, like, hey, we're colleagues here. Like, you know, tell me what's what's going on with the sellers? What's going on with these other offers? What are the problems? Why haven't you guys picked an offer yet if you have 10 offers? Oh, because of this, because of this, because of this. Well, what if I was able to make you an offer that checked off all these boxes? Would you be able to sign off an offer, you know, tomorrow? Uh, and, uh, and and that's, that's how I got a deal. So, uh, you know, that's just one of the deals that I bought this year. But the big message that I'm trying to send with that, hopefully clearly, is by going in, a lot of investors, they start with, well, here's an agent. I'm going to pick up the phone. Yeah. So, so what price are the other offers? Just tell, tell me. Tell me. Where, where do I got to be? I, I got all this money ready to go. I'm pre-approved. I, I, you know, I got cash. Where do I need to be? 
And, and it's very off-putting to agents. When you come in with, with the mindset that you're going to be in the business for the long run, either as an investor or an agent, because your reputation will travel as an investor too, and you treat people like they're going to be there for a while. Let's, let's work with people like they're people. You'll actually end up getting more information, which will lead you to getting deals. That's awesome. Work with people like they're people. There's a tweetable, tweetable quote right there. All right. I want to go back to your story a little bit. Yeah. So you got that first deal, that first house. Mm -hmm. How did you get into actually your, your first, like other, other than your primary, your first investment? Let's talk through that. Wow. Yeah. So my first investment, so we, we closed on this deal. We fixed it up. Uh, a lot of people are fearful of putting less than 20% down because of mortgage insurance. And, and they think this is the yeah. end of the world, which, you know, oftentimes when you do the math of mortgage insurance, it's really the difference of getting like a 4% rate to like a 4.75. It ain't that big of a deal. Like it doesn't change your life that much, yeah. especially if you're getting a, a good deal. But uh, we did have mortgage insurance and we also wanted to pay this $20,000 back that we had borrowed so what we did is after we fixed up the property, hey, and this is a method you folks have heard from before, we did a cash out refinance and uh, we were able to refinance to a conventional loan, 20% down essentially because of the equity we had in it. We uh, were able to take some cash out as well. We got rid of our mortgage insurance. The rate stayed about the same. It didn't matter too much to us. So the payment went up a little bit, you know, three, $400 the payment went up, but we now had extra cash available uh, to, to consider going shopping. And so I remember the next year or the beginning of the next year, we finished that renovation somewhere around August, November, we finished that renovation. And uh, I remember January, I was passing out flyers and I was thinking to myself, I, I, I got to find a deal. Like I got to find a fixer. I was almost sort of driving for dollars. I just wanted to put that energy out there. I think I had just seen the movie, the secret. And I'm like, okay, if I put the energy out, I will get a deal. It's <laughs> kind of what I thought. So, um, I, I just had no idea where it was going to come from. And, uh, I was holding an open house and, uh, in, in, in a neighborhood that I would gladly invest in, uh, which I always recommend, you know, go, go work in the areas where you want to invest. Anyway, I'm holding an open house and, uh, the neighbor across the street walks in and says, Hey, um, what, would it be weird to have two for sale signs on the same street? <laughs> and, and me as an agent, I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Like, oh, no, tell me more. Anyway, you know, long and short of it, I uh, visit her house and I see her house and I ask her what she wanted for the property. I go, oh, gee, you know, what, what if I told you I had a buyer, <laughs> you know? And uh, that's, that's how we got into our first investment property, which what was crazy about that was it goes sort of back to this, this relationship world and how small our investing communities can really be. Lauren, I brought Lauren by, my, uh, you know, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, to look at the property. Lauren gets out of her car, walks up the driveway. I'm at the top of the driveway with the seller. And the seller's like, oh my gosh, Lauren. And Lauren's like, oh my gosh, Mary. <laughs> like they knew each other. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now imagine that's if funny. they hated each other. <laughs> you know, that wouldn't work well. <laughs> oh, Lauren. Ugh. Why'd you bring her around? Yeah, good, good thing. So let's, uh, it was a single family house. How much was this thing? Okay, so we bought this single family for 387. So, so the first one, I'll just backtrack quick. Sure. The first one, it was listed for 287. We, we, you know, we knew there were two cash offers. I go, the only thing I can compete on is paying more. Which remember, when, yep. when people are flipping, the person who can always pay more than a flipper is the person who's going to rent out the property. And then the only person who's going to yep. pay more than that 
is the person who's going to buy it, live in it and fix it up. But that's, that's a small percentage yep. of people, right? Usually it's a big gap. The home buyers, they don't want the fixers. Anyway, so uh, bought it for 305. We paid more. Was uh, We refinanced it. Uh, when we got our refinance appraisal, that was probably somewhere around 450 to 475. We ended up, I didn't mention this. I didn't want to complicate it too much. We ended up getting a home equity line of credit as well because we were able to get that 20% loan, get our mortgage insurance removed, then HELOC up to 90%, which gave us a little bit yeah. more money for, for fix up. Uh, the second property was uh, $387,000. It was probably worth somewhere around 475 to five with maybe $30,000 worth of work. Okay, that's cool. So what is a, what is a property like that in this area? This is in Southern California, right? So yeah. what does it rent for in an area like that? Yeah, so, you know, when, when we first rented that property out, we probably rented it for somewhere around 24, 25. Now it rents for 29. So rents have, you know, moved a little bit. But usually these deals, the only way they cash flow and this is the case for a lot of areas of the United States. Though, you know, a lot of rules don't work out here because each market is kind yeah. of their own. And most of the time, something like this, if you put 25% down on a good deal, good deal, 25% down should be somewhere around two, $300 a month cash flow. So you're not really, you know, getting rich off cash flow. You're really making your money on the equity play of, yeah. of building your net worth, <clears throat> acquiring these fixer offers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just shows that there's different strategies for different areas, right? So. Absolutely. You know, and the other thing too, that, that I personally like is, you know, just, just this year, for example, and obviously as I've gotten better at this, the deals have gotten better, but this year I, I, I closed three purchases. To, uh, one of them was 450 worth six. One uh, with about 50, all of them about, eh, well, the first two about $50,000 worth of work. So 450 needs $50,000 worth of work. It's worth six. That's maybe a hundred dollar, two hundred dollar a month cash flow after you know vacancy repairs, uh, PITI, everything, and uh, you know there's there's a hundred thousand dollars of equity in that deal. Uh, another property, four sixty five worth six fifteen, and then that's six fifty worth seven seventy five. That one only needing about fifteen thousand dollars worth of work I talked about. So to me, I look at these three deals. I go, I just essentially increased my net worth three hundred thousand dollars, and I paid zero dollars in taxes on that. And because I'm a real estate investor, which anybody can do this when they own real estate, I'll never pay taxes on that because if I go to yeah. sell, I'll exchange. And one day yeah. after I exchange my way and, and the government says, oh, Kevin, you're doing an exchange, no worries, catch us later on the taxes. And I do that over and over again. One day I'll have you know, 9 million, 10 million, $20 million worth of capital gains that I'm supposed to pay the government. And, uh, uh, you know, let's say I sold them all. I'd have to pay well, a couple million, $3 million in taxes. That would suck, especially in California. But if I don't sell and one day I happen to get hit by a bus, my children and family will get all of these properties with yeah. a stepped up tax basis and nobody will ever pay taxes on that gains. So yeah. because of that, I look at real estate, I go, I just made $300,000 tax free. And people are like, oh, well, well, how, how can you use that money? Call up my buddy Bob like I did the first time. I go, hey, can I borrow hundred grand to go buy another deal? You, know? you said awesome. something I really want to point out because I think it's very valuable for especially newer investors to understand. When everybody starts off, they have a, a perspective of how real estate works and that it's usually mm -hmm. cash flow is the reason that we do this. And there's many reasons that that's the case, especially just when you think about 
We came out of last recession. A lot of people lost real estate because they didn't make sure at cash flow they couldn't hold it. So cash flow yeah. took this elevated position of the reason why you should invest in real estate. But when you talk to people who have actually done it, cash flow is usually the least important thing they care about. I tell people, cash flow does not make you money. Cash flow is a defensive tool. It keeps you from losing a property. Ooh. You're not going to make a lot of money. Are you writing that down too? This is funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So he's going to have all these YouTube videos over the next couple of weeks of like, cash flow is a defensive. Yeah. I mean, that that is, that's a brilliant line there because people think that, okay, I'm going to buy real estate and I'm going to sit on the beach in Tahiti and, mm-hmm. and you know, drink yeah. Mai Tais all day long. But to me, and this is a challenge I always pose to first-time investors. I, I go, ask yourself this. If you had a $0 net worth and you had no assets, how hard is it to create passive income? You have to go work. It's hard. If somebody now, just to show the difference of net worth and cash flow here, uh, if, if somebody now gave you $20 million of property with $20 million worth of debt and zero cash flow. So literally you're in the same place. The person that has no assets, no debt, no assets, no nothing, right? Zero net worth compared to somebody who has $20 million in properties, $20 million in debt and zero cash flow. They're technically on paper, net net the same place. But what's going to happen next year? This guy with $20 million in property is going to have paid down $500,000 of principal. <laughs> you know, they're going to have appreciation. They're tax going to have benefits. Uh, you know, the tax benefits, uh, the yin-yang. And if they raise the rent on $20 million of real estate, boom, there's a lot of cash flow real fast. So it goes to show that the challenge isn't, let me get cash flow now. To me, it starts with, let's get some net worth going first and some tools that are going to build us that net worth and then use cash flow as defense. Single family real estate is, it's somewhat easy and simple to build net worth. You buy it for less than what it's worth and it's valued based on comparable sales, right? So sometimes just buying an ugly house and making it a pretty house is all you had to do to build equity in the property, even if you didn't build cash flow. But that starts to build your net worth. Then, and that's because single family real estate is not in, intended. It wasn't built for the purpose of cash flow. That's not why it exists. It was built for someone to live in it. We've Jimmy rigged it to make it work that way. What is, <laughs> what is intended for cash flow is multifamily property. Apartment complexes are designed to produce cash flow and they're valued based on how much cash flow they produce. Like the metric that you use to make it worth more is literally to make it a more profitable business. So if you understand that, it becomes very simple that you start off buying single family rentals, not for cash flow, but to build equity. You then exchange that equity into multifamily properties later, which is designed for cash flow. And it's a very simple process if you start with the end and work backwards. And you're pointing out something I'm so glad you are because I usually feel like I'm banging this drum and nobody's listening to me. They just don't want to hear it. Right? <laughs> like, oh, you have all these properties. You're making so much money. I'm like, I'm really not. There's stuff that goes wrong all the time. You get this many single family houses. You got to pay people to help you manage them. You're constantly dealing with paper cut after paper cut. It's really annoying. However, you're building this snowball of equity that someday in one fell swoop, I'll sell them all. I'll go 1031 into, you know, a handful of properties that cash flow really good. Most of my problems will be gone and I'll have cash flow. But my house is bought my cash flow as opposed to the money that I saved go. up buying my cash flow, which is much slower. Bingo. That's a, it's funny you say that because that's uh, literally, you know, people hear, um, I'm just going to say it. people hear Grant Cardone all the time say, Oh, you know, single family, don't buy that, but only buy multifamily. You know, he, he made almost $11 million on a single family, which he was then able to take that $11 million in gains. And I, you know, I, I'm not sure this is the case, but it's presumed this was 1031 exchanged 
into $50 million worth of multifamily real estate in Florida. So take $11 million in gains in California, boom, here's your cash flow in Florida. One thing I do want to point out too on cash flow is a lot of people, uh, you know, at, at least, or people in their earning years, cash flow can actually be a little bit painful because you do get taxed as ordinary income on that, which is, you know, it's kind of frustrating, especially out here in California, man, like 45, 50% of taxes, it sucks. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And, but here's, here's the point we, like, we have to be careful to, to make sure we say is that like, we, we're not saying, none of us saying go buy a bad deal that you lose money every single month on just because you want a chance at equity. Right. And so I've known people who are just like, I mean, I, I, unless, unless you're rich, I know a guy in Southern California who came to me and wanted to buy a deal and he, it was like going to rent for $2,100 a month. His mortgage payment was going to be like 3000 a month. And he's like, should I buy this yeah, deal? No. <laughs> and normally I say no, but this guy makes millions of dollars a year in income from his business. So I'm like, okay, fine. Of all all the people I know, if you're going to gamble on appreciation and, and you really believe in this property and that it's going to go up, fine. You're the guy that maybe could do it, right? Because you can handle it, but nobody else like, no, like, and that's where it's just like knowing yourself, knowing what you are capable of, what you can handle. Like, I don't care about a, like I would buy a property in Maui. Like I live in Maui, Hawaii, right? So I'd buy a property here and break even all day long. Why? Because I, one, I can afford it. Uh, and it's gotta be actual break even. I'm not talking about mortgage, same as my, you know, rent, uh, sure. my rent, but like actual got to break even fine. Whatever. If I hold it for 20 years, the thing's going to be worth way more. And my loans gonna be paid way less. And I'm going to have a massive net worth from it. But then I can dump into multifamily. Yeah, so again, go. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that's so interesting, uh, just to kind of cap that, because what you just said there is, is is so perfect. It's like, you know, build that, build that net worth. And even in an expensive area like Hawaii, you're buying there because your A, your income can support it. B, you know, the numbers make sense to where your repairs and vacancies cover are covered by the rent with everything else. But another thing to know is when people get started, you know, you want to go start in multifamily 35% down because like, you know, we said here, the bank's and, and you know, multifamily being designed for cash flow, the banks are going yeah. to require that cash flow. And how do they get that? Out here, I go run the numbers on a multifamily deal. I got to put sometimes 45 to 50% down for the bank to be satisfied with the cash flow. You know, on single yeah. family, it's like, sure, you put 3% down. Are you really going to be expecting cash flow right now? You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay. This is good yeah. stuff. And I think people are getting a lot of value out of this. At least I feel really good that we're sharing the truth about real estate right now and not, <laughs> not the infomercial version where it's packaged up so that you spend $40,000 yeah. to buy this thing that, I mean, to make $40,000 in cash flow back <laughs> on these courses, that takes you like 70 years to do. Uh, I, it's shocking. Some of these really expensive programs. And, and sometimes yeah. I, you know, I have people, they come to me and go, Kevin, I spent actually, I went to a, a shooting range and the trainer knows I'm a real estate investor. And he said, Hey, you know, I'm looking into this, this $40,000 program. That's going to teach me how to flip real estate using other people's money. And I'm like, Holy crap. Like I can <laughs> tell you how to do that in the next 10 seconds. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there is no shortage of hard money lenders. The shortage yes. is deals. You find the deal, you find the money. There you go. <laughs> You know, now you said send a bill for $40,000 and, and yeah. have a great time. Oh. Yeah. That's what we're all in the wrong business right now. We're launching the Kevin, David and Brandon course on how to buy real, how to flip houses with no money. It's $40,000. You can send your checks to it's me. It's $39,000. We'll save you yeah. a grant. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll for the low, low price. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. 
Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Okay, I wanted to ask you, Kevin, can you tell us what your portfolio looks like and what uh, your favorite parts of your own portfolio are? Yeah, so I, uh, on, right now, it's, I control $6 million worth of real estate, and it's all single family at this point. I Every single year of my career, I've looked into acquiring duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, 
I just, every single time I'm shopping, like I'm shopping right now, I've got money ready to go. I'm ready for my next deal. Every single time I go shopping, I will put on Instagram, I'll show videos like here I am looking at houses, here I'm looking at multifamily. And every single time I go shopping, the multifamily stuff gets, at least in this area, so overbid. And I think it's because you have so much money, especially you look at countries like Europe, where they have, you know, negative growth rates. People are looking to pension funds, you know, insurance companies. Everybody's looking to dump money into real estate. Where's that real estate going? Or where's that money going? Uh, it's a lot of it's going into multifamily real estate. They're not looking at the single family space. So a lot of these properties, they're having offers from, from institutional investors that it doesn't matter how much they pay. It doesn't matter how much a syndication pays for a 20 unit apartment building or a hundred unit apartment building in California because they make the money on how much money they have. They make their money on how much money they have under management and holding the property for the long term. The buy price doesn't really matter to them. And that's frustrating to me when I'm looking for undervalued real estate in this particular area. Multifamily undervalued doesn't exist. Single family, on the other hand, only 11% of people looking at single family are investors. To me, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's the same way in the Bay Area. So I'm a real estate broker up here. We help people by helping them find houses. Everybody comes to me with what you said. I want to find multi duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes use the low down payment. It sounds great in theory. And at certain times it works really well. But what you just said is really important. Everybody's playing in that space. I hear people complain all the time. How are they going to ever make money at that price? And they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. They don't need to make money. They just sold something and they have 900,000 that they need to put into play in a 1031 so they don't pay taxes. They can break even and save all the money that they were going to be taxed on. To them, it makes sense to pay that price. And we, when you get into your own perspective and you think about what you're wanting, it, it's very frustrating. When you step back and you look at the big picture, like what you're saying, you're making no money on your money in the bank. There are tons of people who've raised a buttload of capital and they have to put it somewhere and they can earn enough cash flow to break even or make a tiny little bit. So that makes sense for them. When you're the little guy trying to get started, don't go compete with these people that have a ton of capital and a ton of experience and all these advantages over you. You got to find the place to hunt where there's less people looking for the yeah. game. And that is absolutely single family. So what we do is we look for areas with like a split level single family house that can easily be managed like a duplex. It's got a finished basement ah. and, a, and a top house. And maybe we put some drywall in the top part of the house and put a kitchen on the other end of it. And we just turned it into three units. Now it's not technically a triplex because it's not zoned for multifamily. You wouldn't be able to use the income from it to qualify for the loan. But if it's in a price point that you can qualify for, I can find you something that will make you cash flow and, and make that deal as opposed to just looking for something that's labeled a triplex that every other investor is getting in their search. And that's the yep. way you got to yep. be. You have to be different. You got to look in places other people aren't looking. Now, I completely believe we will hit a recession at some point. I don't think it's right around the corner like some people do, but eventually it will happen and there will be the fish in the barrel. Those multifamily properties will be dropped in value. The investors will want their money out. The people will be selling them. They'll go to foreclosure. That's the time that you go buy those deals. Why right. not build equity in the single family space in the meantime so that your, your, your gun's loaded, so to speak, so when those opportunities come, you can move on it rather than just sitting around and complaining that, oh, it's so hard. There's The deals go so fast. That's a really, really good thing you just said there is find a way in your space to you know, make your deals work. And in your area, that might be taking that single family. And you know what, maybe you're, you're Airbnb out the basement mm. or, 
You know, it's, yep. and, you know what we're seeing a lot of, especially now with the new ADU laws, people are buying, you know, fixer upper uh, in our area, Midtown Ventura homes. These are like these little 1920s, 30s bungalows that have larger yards. And they go, let's let's convert the garage into a legal ADU now. Boom, there's our cash flow, you know, and, and what yep. a great way to get started. There's so many opportunities for people to get started. And really, things become a lot easier when you own your first place, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so much easier. So you just got to get started somewhere. So how does somebody who's just getting started, I mean, how, how are you finding deals in a competitive market, in an in a expensive market? How do you recommend, how do you find deals and how do you recommend uh, newbies listen to this get started? Yeah, the, I mean, to me, there are dime a dozen opportunities. And when I look statistically, I'll just throw the numbers out. We have about a thousand sales per year in uh, the city of Ventura. And uh, of those thousand, I'd probably say about 10% need work and are fixers. And maybe about half of those are good deals, like great deals. So I just took a thousand to a hundred to 50. And now if I divide that 50 by 12, I get one deal a week that hits the market. That's very, very good and juicy. So for me, every single week, there is an opportunity that hits the market that I could be writing an offer on that I, I look, I go, if I just get one a year, I'm doing really, really well. And there aren't that many people competing against me in, in a smaller city like Ventura. I mean, Ventura has 100,000 people. But the problem is there are most of the people in the real estate competition space, 89% of them, based on kind of what I see out here and, and stats that I can read online or research, 89% of them, the average home buyers, they're not looking at these fixers, these, these deal a week that comes up. They're not looking yep. at those. And these are MLS deals. I'm not even talking about doing anything like driving for dollars or the other ways that you can find deals. Just straight up deals that hit the MLS, being fast on them, being pre-approved, being ready to go and seeing value where other people don't see it. Those come up easily once a week. Uh, and, and again, so 89%, your home buyers, they don't care about them because the carpet's stinky. It's, you know, got a little bit of mildew in the bathtub or whatever. They don't care. Then you're against the flippers, which just pay a little bit more than the flippers. If you're going to rent it out or live there and you win. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one thing we talk about a lot with like the birth strategy, you know, the buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, where it's like flipping, but you hold on to it. Right. We talk yeah. a lot about, you can pay more than the flippers when you're going to do a birth strategy because you're holding on uh -huh. to rent it. So this is what I always say. If there's somebody in your market flipping houses, anybody, if there's flipping going on, you can get into rental properties because if the flippers can do it, you can do it as well. Almost entirely. You can find a deal to, to buy rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. You can find those deals if the flippers are doing it, if they are in they're everywhere. And so people just love to have these limited beliefs of like, Oh, I can't do that in my market. It doesn't work here. That's just an excuse. What, I mean, what you said is so brilliant, literally in every, first of all, you, I mean, you said two great things. One, if the flippers are doing it, you can do it. And the second thing you said is everywhere has a flipper. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. All right. So let's, let's talk about, so that's, what do you look for? I mean, like specifically those deals of the week that come up. I mean, you kind of mentioned a few yes. things, but let's say like, give some people some actionable, like this is, this is what I look for. Uh, that makes me go, yes, I'm going to go and analyze this deal. Okay. All right. So first thing, and, and let's see if I can pull something up here. The first thing that I like to do when I look for deals is, you know, Usually it's got to be new. I've seen all the old stuff already. And a lot of the old things, uh, the, the older listings, I've already tried to lowball. Occasionally I keep them on a list. I try to lowball them again. I keep a dialogue going with the agent. That's usually the easiest way for me to do it. Uh, the, generally though, the deals that I buy are the deals that they hit the market. 
I'm there the first day. They get other offers, but I don't get discouraged by the other offers. I see the other offers as, uh, and this is maybe just a mind twist, but I see the other offers as my safety net. If other people mm-hmm. are writing offers, other people see value here. And that's good. I know I'm going to be, again, like those home buyers, they're usually not writing offers on this, but let me show you what, what, what I'm looking at. So let me see if I could do this. Uh, so if I press this button, that button, mm, we should have an nice. example. So I do see it. Uh, this is an example of a property that I just bought. And, uh, you know, you go in here, you go, okay, there's, there's no flooring. So the way the agent sold this property is it has to be cash only because they ripped the carpet off. I mean, the old asbestos tiles are here. You know, you got this kind of, you got the acoustic ceiling, you've got the older fireplace, you know, everything's kind of disheveled here. This is, uh, this is the kitchen, you know, everything about it. Most people are going to look at this and go, oh, gross. You know, it's, it's old. We got to demo everything. We got to tear everything out. You go uh, kind of walk over towards this way here. You literally have your uh, blue bathroom tiling, which is kind of nasty too. <laughs> uh, and they even to match over here have, where is it? There it is, a blue toilet. You can kind of see the blue toilet oh, yeah. right there. Beautiful. I mean, just everything about it is just nasty. This is money to me. And the reason it is, is because this place we bought for $465,000, we're going to put about $45,000 into it. And, and that's scraping the ceilings, flooring, removing the wallpaper, painting it, new light fixtures, outlets, door handles, you know, a couple new vanities. We're going to glaze the tiles in the bathroom, refloor. And then, you know, 40 will be gone after we repaint. We'll, we'll actually keep the kitchen cabinets and we'll repaint these instead. Because initially people look at this and they go, ew, gross, look, they're terrible. I look at this, I go, this is, this is hard wood. This is nice quality yep. stuff ready to go as long as it's not water damaged or, or broken or whatever. I can make this work. Over here, for example, we cut in a range. So we, uh, you know, we have put a little 18 inch cabinet here and cut in a range right here. So now I've got my build, my oven and my cooktop and I'm ready to go. So, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff I look for. When I see that, I go, I can play that game all day long and I'll keep doing that. So maybe it's just because a lot of people go in there and they go, well, I'm going to have to spend $150,000 on it. I look at it and go, I only need to spend 40 on it. What are you talking about? Well, (laughs) you're buying a problem. And the problem is it's ugly, oh. right? That's it. It's not yeah, yeah. a horrible problem. You're just hey, like, whose house are you saying is ugly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're, you're problem, it right. looks worse than it is, right? And you've got some experience. So what you're seeing is, okay, this is a facelift. I just need to go put makeup right. on this thing. That's not a very big deal. So I, yeah, I love yeah. the fact that, that, you, that you just showed us a deal that makes a ton of sense. There's a ton of equity in there. It scared everybody else away because it wasn't pretty. Well, you can make it pretty. That's like the best problem to solve. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to see if I can, you know, just probably take a second. I'll see if I can pull up a partial after that I have, but if not, no worries. But basically what what I described to you is, is what we did. And and yeah, exactly. You know, I, maybe it's just because uh, I, I look at these deals and, and I don't go in there and I say, you know, I mean, what I, what I, my favorite thing to buy, and this is my definition of sort of your wedge deal. And it's very much like this deal. I go in, I, lo- I open up, like everybody else, they're looking at all the nasty stuff and the smell and the lack of carpet and stuff like that. I look at it, I go, I open the furnace closet, I go, brand spanking new furnace. I like this. Yeah. You know, I look at the roof, I go, my roof is pretty good. We're going to put on new ridge caps for 1800 bucks. That roof's going to kick it for another 10, 15 years. Uh, you know, and, and you look at the foundation, all the expensive things are good. Grounded, electrical, the expensive stuff is good. 
And, uh, you know, the cosmetic stuff is, I think, what people dramatically overvalue. And that creates an opportunity yeah. to even get on the market deals for a dramatic discount. I've had so many people I've talked to. Um, I mean, one specific, I remember the, a friend of mine said, we walked into a condo and just took one sniff and we <laughs> walked right out. And I was like... Like they were trying to buy an investment property and they're like, we took one sniff and walked right out. And he was out like, you know, they were kind of proud of themselves because yeah. they, did, oh. they didn't want to. Like, yeah. And I'm like, no, that was, that was, that's my favorite thing in the world. Like yeah. well, so, and condos yeah. are like the safest thing to yeah. buy. If you think about it, because you're sharing <laughs> yeah. responsibility for the roof and the plumbing with everybody yep. else, you know, it's like yeah. a great way to start. I don't yeah, know. I got, I got two condos right now that I'm, I'm flipping, but I'll hold them as rentals all day long. If I, if I have to, if the market changes, cause yeah, yeah I like the idea of the, condo. I mean, yeah, there's some annoying things you got to be aware of, but like, oh, the overall, HOA, yeah. yeah, the HOA is main, primarily. So here's my question for you real quick. Oh, by the way, that's the partially finished. It's looking awesome. This is, yeah, this is partially. So you can see these are the same exact cabinets. We still have, we did a gas line here. So I have a patch I had to do. I just quickly wanted to show you, this is just a quick little yeah. shot of uh, of what that kitchen looks like now where we painted the cabinets, uh, you know, this gray, yeah. we put the hardware in. This, you can see the stainless appliances, the quartz countertop, new faucet, new sink. So this, all of a sudden, you get a regular home buyer that walks into this, they're like, whoa, where, you know, where do I sign up? I like this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, so, that's awesome. Valuable. And of course, if people are, if people are listening to this right now, you want to, you should go and check out our YouTube page uh, and, and see what Kevin's got shown here, like the before and after it's, it's pretty remarkable. So and bigger pockets, youtube.com slash bigger pockets. Uh, you'll see some stuff there. And of course, I mean, obviously follow Kevin as well on YouTube. What are you Thank at? You. Meet, meet Kevin on YouTube. Meet right? Kevin, yep. All right. All right. So here's a question for you. How does a new investor know mm -hmm. like you? Okay. You and I look at that property. The one that you just kind of walked through the Matterport there, right? You, mm -hmm. Like you and I look at that and, and David and we're like, oh yeah, Jimmy, great. We'll paint the cabinets here, like the flooring, whatever. We'll cover them with this. Like, it's not a scary thing, but how does a newbie know something is cosmetic and not a scary thing? Or this is a tremendous rehab that they should not get into because it's like, it's going to be a money pit. That's a great question. Really? Uh, the, and this is the first thing that everybody should do is buy something to live in. And when they buy something to live in, they start understanding, wow, these, these houses, they're really just, especially yeah. if it needs work and you start doing some work yourself, when you start doing things like I'm going to put on paint, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, you know, drywall, you know, maybe I'm going to have an electrician show me how to teach me how to change an outlet safely all of a sudden. And that's, that's exactly what I did when I started my first deals. I did the drywall. I scraped the old tiles off the floor. Yep. I scraped the ceiling. I paint what, whatever it took. I did it. And what it taught me was something that I thought, especially at 19 years old, was an invaluable lesson that, wow, these houses are really just toothpicks and paper. It's not that complicated to deal with the cosmetics. But what it also showed me is if you don't properly inspect the systems, those could be a lot more expensive. So by doing it, by owning the first property and surrounding myself, this is probably the more applicable for everybody who doesn't have the time to do the work, by surrounding yourself with professionals who know, now you protect yourself. So you go into a house that yeah. needs work. You say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll do some paint. I'll try drywall. I'll try some of these things. But now you bring in your real estate agent who also invests. What's going to happen? Your real estate agent's going to tell you, well, I invest in this neighborhood. And Kevin, you know what? We need to make sure that we scope the plumbing lines, not just from the outside to the street, but yeah. the inside as well, because these cast iron drains rot out. Maybe they've been replaced. Maybe not. Let's look at that and see what our exposure is there. That's where you learn a lot really fast for free, basically, because your agent's getting yeah. paid by the seller. And then guess what? You do a home inspector and the home inspector goes, ah, you know what? This, uh, this electrical thing over here, this is a little janky. 
Okay, you call an electrician. The electrician comes over, and and even if you had to pay him, people are so fearful. Like, oh well, uh, no, no electrician is coming to talk to me. Have you tried this? You pick up the phone, go, hey, electrician, I've got some, uh, you know, I need a, an electrician for about thirty minutes next week. I'm willing to pay hundred fifty dollars just for a site consult on a property. I'll pay you right there on the spot, hundred fifty bucks if you could walk a property with me. I guarantee you, they'll be there because it's like four <laughs> yeah. times their hourly rate, right? So they're there. <laughs> And now, uh, you know, wow, oh, I've seen these panels before. You know what? These houses, they're actually wired pretty well, but we should change out the panel. This is really just an $1,800 problem for you. Wow, cool, thanks. I knew nothing about electrical. Now I quantified it with a number. It's $1,800. Does that still make sense to my deal? So the two things, one, Get into, you know, be willing to do some stuff yourself and learn and be exposed. Because if you walk in, you see stinky asbestos and lead and mold and all this, you're going to be fearful unless you're willing to, to try to expose yourself to understanding what does it actually take to deal with this and solve it. Second thing, surround yourself with professionals because you'd be surprised how much you can learn for a very little price. Yeah, that is so good. Really, really good. All right. So this deal that we're talking about here can really kind of be, like, we always do a segment of the show called a deal deep dive. Ooh. And really this is kind of it. Like the, it's the, it's what did you, you know, how did you buy it? You bought this MLS, right? Yeah. You, this Okay. So that you bought this property, you already told us what you paid for it. You kind of watched us through all that. I mean, what's the long-term plan with it? Like where are you headed with it? Yeah. Are you going to hold so it on as a rental? Exactly. Uh, so this property, if I don't refinance because we bought it so far below market value with 25% down, this property will cash flow probably somewhere around $700. But I actually, like I said earlier in the segment, I don't want the cash flow. I could, I could easily, you know, do yeah. a YouTube video or whatever. Oh, look at all this cash flow, even after, you know, 200 bucks for repairs and, and, and vacancy or whatever, and management expense, this, that, and all the other, the PITI, all this stuff. Look at all this cash flow, just because I got a good deal $700 a month. Wow, cool. I can spend it on whatever I want. You know, um, I, I don't really like that because it's, it's a lot of taxable income for me. And I don't, I don't want that right now. So for me, this deal, usually I probably only refinance deals like 30% of the time, but this particular deal, because it does have so much sort of on the bone, I'll refinance it and uh, probably pull out cash to where the cash flow is closer to $200, you know, maybe $100 after repairs and vacancy and all of that. So uh, I'll be able to take out a little bit of uh, a little bit of cash and then I'll just go shopping for another deal. The plan is because I've renovated because I know how old the systems are and, and the quality of the property and the quality of the, the cosmetic remodel that we did. I look at it and go, I, I don't mind holding on to this for the 27 and a half years. I don't plan to sell it. Mostly, I don't want, look, I'm a realtor, but I always say I sell real estate, but I don't sell real estate because I hate paying other realtors. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, even though I can represent myself, I just don't want to pay the closing cost. So I'll keep it for 27 and a half years. Uh, in the meantime, as values go up, I can pull seconds on it if I need to. I don't want to over leverage though. I want to be safe and I'll go shopping for other deals. Usually my, uh, for a portfolio wise, I don't like to be, any more than like 60% debt overall, the whole portfolio. And right now I'm below that. So I don't mind doing some refinancing. Okay. That's great. Great. So where do you see yourself out in the future? Like where's the next five, 10 years look like for Kevin? You know, it, it's funny because it, I, I think our society says that, it, you know, so there's, there's a society driven Kevin and, and then there's like 
the, the Kevin, you should do this. And so society driven Kevin says, I got a 10 X, I got to do a syndication of single family wedge deals, meet Kevin capital. I'm going to go out there and have, you know, a big <laughs> team with 20 employees and we're going to have a startup. We're all going to start in a living room and then we'll be out in a warehouse somewhere or whatever. And, you know, everybody's hunting for deals and helping people, you know what, well, we'll pay more than open door and, and Redfin now or whatever, and, and just go crank it. There's, there's that side, which is, I say that's a society driven because it's always like, oh, you're a 10X, 10X, 10X. Uh, but then I also come from a place of having been a licensed contractor, having had 15 to 18 employees at one time, feeling that stress, seeing how little time I actually got to enjoy myself, my family, my children, money, like that's a problem. So then there's, then there's the other Kevin, which is like, wait a minute, this is, this is such a good formula. Just buying these simple, like basic little deals, building your equity so fast, renting them out, and then just enjoying life. Like it doesn't take that much effort to do these deals, you know? So yeah. it's like, just keep doing that. I know that's more of like the boring answer, but honestly, that's just such an easy thing. I'm one of those people though, that I do get bored easily. I'm constantly like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And, and I think that's dangerous and risky because that could make me very unhappy where right now I'm in just such a happy place where I don't have to go crazy like that. Yeah. That's a great answer. Yeah. I struggle with that as well. It's like part of me says, well, I should just relax and hang out and enjoy my, my time. And then I'm like, no, I got to go bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, what made a big impact on me was Tim Ferriss said, I think it was on honor when it was on our podcast, but also just on his own show. What if it was easy? So the question I've been asking myself all the time is what would it, how can I get that thing that like the, the growth of a big company and an equity, you know, like, you know, Brandon capital, how do I do that? But not have to do the 50, 60 hours of hard work, the Grant Cardone hustle, hustle, hustle thing. And that's a hard question to answer, but that's what I'm, I'm exploring and trying to figure out right now is how, how do you do that? Yeah. And, and I think uh, in part, hmm. it's a hard question to answer because it's relative. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this about your goals. I'm trying to no, just say no, in please. general, in general, usually it's very unrealistic. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, people, I think they, they think, all right, well, I just want to work four hours a week. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll have a startup and I'll be rich it usually doesn't work that way. I, I mean, yeah, you know, you look at Elon Musk sleeping on the floor of, of his offices, right? And I'm not trying to compare myself to him, but you know, when, when I, in 2015, for example, the year I sold the most real estate uh, that I had ever had in my career and had employees uh, and had all these other business ideas and stresses going on pre YouTube. I look at that time and I go, yeah, there, there was money success but it came at the cost of working 90 hours a week, not four hours a yep. week. And I was really unhappy. Yeah. Really, really good point. So yeah, really good. All right. Let's head over to the next segment of our show. It's the fire, fire round. round. It's time for the fire round. This is the fire round. These are the questions that come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums that we're going to fire them at you and see what you got to say. So Jordan uh, from, I'm not sure where he's from, but Jordan said this. Oh, no, he says it in the, in, the, in the question. Jordan said, where in California are people having the most luck finding cash flowing properties? I'm in Central Coast and it seems like the costs are simply too expensive to make the numbers work. 
this is the sort of the generic scenario that we get all of the time. People look, they go, well, if I'm going to put 10% down on the deal, this isn't cash flowing. That's it. I'm just not buying real estate. Well, yep. of course, the two things, the only two ways you're going to get cash flow in Southern California, Central Coast or NorCal, anywhere along the coast, the only way you're going to get cash flow is one, below market value deals to where the cash flow now makes sense. Or number two, you put more money down. All right. Very nice. This next question is from Sin Kai in New York City. I have never purchased a house in my life. So when, where does a buyer's real estate agent role and responsibilities end for the commission they get paid? I like this question. Is it their responsibility to arrange the city code inspection, the regular inspection, communicate with my attorney and title and closing company, et cetera? Okay, interesting. Yeah, so me and every real estate agent is different. You're going to have... And, and I'm just going to say it because it's real. Uh, usually what I found in my experience is the larger teams, the real estate agent teams, uh, they're so busy that oftentimes they can't go to that level of providing more value to you. Not saying don't use teams, but I found a lot of the really busy agents where their phone is ringing off the hook with people asking to work with them you know, you're going to oftentimes get a little bit of lesser service. Not always, but this was what I found. Uh, generally, what I found is if you find an agent that's not overly busy, invests in real estate, and maybe this is a unicorn, but I don't know, invests in real estate and isn't overly busy, but is out there, you know, looking for deals for their clients, these agents can oftentimes provide you a lot more value. And these are people that you really... You know, the way the question was phrased and just reading between the lines here makes me think that this is somebody who's doing a cost benefit analysis on their real estate agent. They're going, okay, well, they're, they're making this much money for my purchase. They should do this, 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 and this for me. And I think it's the wrong way to look at it. I think if you find that agent who invests and that agent that's working with you directly, it's not an assistant, it's not a team member, that agent is working with you directly, that agent it should be a lifelong relationship for you. I have clients that I know their tax returns. I know their finances. I know how much money they have, how much their businesses make. And for these people, when they call me and they say, Kevin, hey, you know what? Who's the plumber of choice this week? They could call me three years after they bought something. I'm there for them to help because I've created this relationship with them. And I think if you look at a real estate agent as a long-term money-generating relationship, then you'll look at real estate a lot better than what I'm worried in the direction you might be going. Mm, yeah. Great answer. All right. Number three, the last month I've been getting my butt kicked with tenant complaints, repairs, high vacancy. Mm. What's a bad rental situation you've been through and how could you have prevented it or what would you do differently next time? So wow. I, they just said, I hope, yeah. What would you do? Or like, yeah. what's, how do you deal with just rough times? Yeah, it's, you know, it might, it's tough for me a little bit to relate to because I, I drive myself so crazy in my pre-screening stages. And I'm not saying that they don't pre-screen properly, but one of the things that I've found that I've loved about these single families is I'm buying median priced single family homes and I'm pre-screening people to where I, I know they have excellent credit. Maybe they own property somewhere else. They're gainfully employed and they meet all of these criteria that I usually don't have headache tenants, A. B, 
I don't buy a property and rent it out as is. There are a lot of investors that I know, they buy a property, they rent it the way it is, and then they say, oh, if something breaks, tenant can call me. Well, yeah, then you're going to have issues. Uh, And uh, so those two things, the pre-screening of the tenants, the quality tenants, keeping the properties properly renovated is helpful, even if that means you have to rent slightly, a little bit below market value rent just to get a good quality tenant, you're now gonna minimize that turnover. But the other thing, and this is possibly a risk, and I'm going to try to help in that scenario, this is another possible risk. When I hear somebody saying in that question, phrasing the question high vacancy, probably dealing with units. And one of the problems that I found in units is people get started with smaller units, like studios, like tiny things. These are always going to have high turnover. So you have three possible issues here that could be longer term things that you might want to solve. And that's making sure they're properly renovated, making sure you're properly, you know, getting those higher quality tenants and doing the renovation to attract the higher quality tenants. High quality tenants don't want to live in crap. Uh, and, and, and then maybe increase the size of your unit. Now, once you have those three things solved, what do you yep. then do when, when you're dealing with these, these rougher times? You suck it up and it's called real estate ownership. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Like it is what it is. You get in there and you fix the problem. Look, I've got an insurance claim on, on a property going on right now. I didn't want to have to crater a hole into a property to replace the sewer line, but guess what? It, it's an insurance claim. I'm getting all new stuff out of it. I'm getting, you know, $35,000 worth of value paid for by the insurance company, which is spectacular. But yeah, guess what? It's a pain in the butt. I have to go over there and make sure they have the faucet I bought on Amazon, you know, which I usually don't recommend getting faucets on Amazon. This is special services. You know, I got to make sure everything's coordinated. It's work, but it's still a good deal. And I'm still coming out ahead. Yeah. Great answer. Awesome. All right. Last Last question. question. Which apps or online tools do you use the most in your real estate investment business? Is there a specific system that once you set it up, it saves you a ton of time and headache? So I'm like the opposite when it comes to apps and stuff. I'm very uh, anti, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm very anti spreadsheet. I'm anti, uh, you know, programs. I'm like anti pretty much everything uh, tech because when it comes to the deals, I've what I've found is when I go through with the spreadsheet, I oftentimes in in the past I've misvalued properties because I wasn't able to incorporate kind of you know, that, that what's the market doing at this time. And sometimes these un, intangible values in terms of my market valuations and the competition and, and how am I going to make sure I'm not overpaying. Sometimes the spreadsheet could miss that for me, but also on my renovations, when I walk through a property, the way I do it is I create a new spreadsheet every single time I take my laptop, I stand there and I look around what do I have to do? And I look, okay, panel, the roof, the flooring. And I write everything down before I ever even write the offer. I do a custom spreadsheet and I just kind of write down, okay, I see I need to do outlets. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. And it, it, to me, rather than being focused on an app or program, I focus on the property itself. Uh, now I know sometimes that could be like, oh, well, you know, what if you don't think of something? What if you don't see something? And, and I guess that's where you want to surround yourself with that circle that helps you, the agents, the contractors, the professionals. But the most important things that I do use uh, in terms of apps are the Zillow mortgage calculator just solely because I see what interest rates are doing every single day. I can kind of see that up and down. I like that a lot. And then usually, and aside from the MLS, and, and as much as I'm not a fan of Redfin, especially in the realtor community, they're, they're big competitors. Their app is fast. 
So when you're looking for new yeah. deals, their notifications for deals that have the MLS fast. So those are the two things I use. But outside of that, I don't use anything. All right. All right. Well, good answers in the fire round. Now it's time for the last segment of the show. It's our famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week for going on almost, what, seven years now or something like that? It's crazy. Uh, let's hear what you got to say. Number one. Actually, before we get to the famous four, let's hear from Jay Scott on what's going on this week over on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets Podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your host of the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. This week on the Business Podcast, we have Gavin Steinberg. He is founder of a company called The Everset. Gavin was a multifamily investor who saw a need and then leveraged his network to launch his current venture, a subscription-based furniture business. Find out how he did it and find out how you can use your network to benefit your business in this episode of the Business Podcast. Now, back to your Famous Four. All right. Thank you, Jay. And now, Famous Four, question number one. Kevin, do you have a favorite real estate, specifically real estate related book? You know, this it's, it's a tough one to answer because I've read so many. The difficulty that I found is markets are so dynamic that a lot of people will, will read books. And the nice thing is like, you guys have an excellent selection of books and I've, I've read some of your books well, on rental you. property investing. They're great. And they teach, they take you from this like place of zero knowledge to like a good baseline of knowledge, which I love. Like yep. if you don't know real estate, this is so great, you know, or, or you know, if, if you have courses online or whatever, like there's such great ways to go from zero to a good amount of knowledge. But oftentimes, I struggle a little bit with a finding, you know, if, if I, if I only zone in on books, I miss my local market opportunities. And that's where oftentimes I try to drive people. I go, what can you do to get out there and get involved with a circle of people that are going to help you get deals? How are you going to find those yeah. agents that are out there hunting for deals? And that's usually my preference uh, over books. Like, seriously, yeah. like your books, Great. I'd like, so I like, I hate giving that Thanks. answer because I'd like, I like you guys. You guys are awesome. Okay. But that's my answer. But no, I, I think if there was a choice between reading a book or going to a local meetup, I'd go to the local meetup all day long. I tell somebody go hang out with real investors in your local market. Yeah. And again, baseline. Great. But get out there. All right. Number two, then David, you want to ask it? Number two, do you have a business book that you really like? Oh man. Uh, yeah. So I really liked the good to great series. Uh, there's a, a good to great, uh, built to last. And there's, there's one more. It's, it's like a, a trilogy of books. I can't remember what it is. Yeah, it was like great, great on purpose or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, something those, like that. those were really, really good. And, uh, they, they gave me some good perspective. I'm also a massive fan of, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, you know, uh, Blink is a good, mm, yeah. really, really good one. And so things like that. Awesome. Okay. When you're not selling real estate, walking properties, playing with your kids, making awesome content, what do you do for, for fun? What are some of your hobbies? Wow. Yeah. If what's funny and it's probably a curse of being an entrepreneur is you're almost always thinking about work. You're always thinking about like, Oh, is there a new Redfin notification for a deal or an MLS email? Oh, you know, even, and this is a struggle. Even when I'm with my kids, I'm trying to have fun playing Nerf guns, which I love with them. You know, I'm still oftentimes thinking about, Oh, you know, got to get some content or, or, you know, gonna, uh, gotta deal with this with a property or whatever outside. Like if I could just remove 
every distraction, which sadly lately I haven't had very much time for, things that I really like, paintball and Call of Duty. (laughs) I like it. That's really funny. All right, last question from me then. What separates successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail, or just never get started? What separates successful real estate agents from the ones that give up and fail? Well, you know, those things all relate back to almost the truth in any business of life is you got to be tenacious. You got to get through the crap. You are going to have bad deals. You are going to have hurdles that come up that say, I should not do this. Let me just make this very, very simple and go back to that first deal. So we started out this podcast by saying, I got this great deal. It's really easy and exciting for me to talk about that in hindsight. But when I zoom into that deal, what I didn't mention is we started that escrow, I think it was like in February. We didn't close it until July or August. It was like a six-month transaction. And there were so many parts during that transaction where, this is a Bank of America foreclosure at the time, there were so many parts of that transaction where I go, that's it, this just isn't meant to be. I'll never forget standing inside of the house. And when I go inside a house to look at it, I usually lock the door behind me and I take the key inside. Because I don't, like people, I'm in a showing and people will literally just stroll in. Oh, I thought it was an open house. Really? There was no sign. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> going back to that emotional I'm, I'm inside the house. The house is locked. And the, the seller, Bank of America, is like, the deal's done. We've had it with you guys. We're, this is only two months in. We're done. We're canceling. That's it. They put it back on the market. It's active. I'm in the house at the time. I was doing like, you know, inspections and, and meeting a kitchen contractor to uh, you know, work on some proposals. And so we're in there doing our due diligence. And the deal's canceled, the, the other agent's freaking out, uh, and, and they're like, that's it, it's over. At the same time I'm in there, two other people show up, and they've got this like, like investor vibe, like they've got that investor look, and they're walking around here in California with their shorts and their t-shirt, their polo, and they're kind of like doing the look in the windows and like looking around at the eaves. And at that moment, the despair I felt, that utter defeat of like, wow, I thought this was going to be a defining moment in my life and now it's trash, it's horrible, I'm a failure. Was, was so, it's something I've never shared before. It was so miserable uh, that it, it, you know, looking back now, I could look at that time and go, wow, I'm so glad I didn't give up. And I fought to get that deal reactivated and kept going. And, and that's the advice I'd give for everybody. Don't give up. Even if you fail, don't give up. The beautiful thing about America is I could go bankrupt and I wouldn't give up. Yeah. I'd get an FHA loan in two or four years and I'd start over and do it all again. Yeah. Awesome advice, dude. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Um, where actually, I don't want to take David's you last question. You always worry David. about that. Brandon, you go ahead, man. I know. You, nope. I'm not doing right. it. I'm not doing it. You Kevin, it. Where can people find take out it. more about you? Yeah. Meet Kevin on YouTube or Instagram at meet Kevin. And uh, <laughs> I'm around. I try, try to post daily. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. You have a great channel and yeah, everyone go follow me, Kevin on YouTube and Instagram and, uh, very cool. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. All right. And that was our episode with, uh, Mr. Kevin. How do you say his last name? Pathraff? Pathraff? I believe so. Yeah. Probably should. All right. I just know him as Meet Kevin. So Kevin, yeah, uh, it was an awesome show. I, I, I like that guy a lot. I've been following him on YouTube for quite a while and it was awesome right. to finally get him here on the show. Last name, Kevin. First name, Meet.
There you go. <laughs> I don't think that's how it is. All right. So anyway, great show today. Again, go follow Kevin over on YouTube at Meet Kevin or just Meet Kevin on uh, on YouTube and at Meet Kevin on Instagram. Uh, and while you're there, follow David Green at David Green 24 and Bigger Pockets at Bigger Pockets. All right. Well, that's all I got today. I'm going to go get out of here. David, we're supposed to be closing on a 168 unit mobile home park portfolio today. I'm just waiting for that email or call to come in. So we'll see. I'm just another day in the life of my buddy, Brandon Turner. Just another day. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, buddy. This is David Green for Brandon, the condo desperado Turner signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.